Welcome, friends, to the Clayhouse Gospel Hour. My name is Pastor Steve, coming to you from the Pacific Northwest. I pray that wherever and whenever you are listening to this, it finds you well. I pray that God will bless you in our time together, and that as a result of it, you will be drawn nearer to Jesus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Clayhouse Gospel Hour. Um, we're going to continue our study the, um, this time in Colossians chapter number two. Uh, I want to thank you for um, listening in uh, to the first episode, and if you haven't listened in, uh, jump back over there and uh, check that one out for Colossians chapter number one. All right, let's jump right in there. Uh, before we get started, uh, let me pray with you, um, and then we'll begin our study in Colossians chapter 2. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to uh, get together in this way, uh, to study your word. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us to focus our attention on you um, as we study your word so that we might be drawn closer to you and be made more like you. And we say these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here we go, continuing with chapter number two. The first uh, two or three verses are an absolute continuance of the last thought process. So if we jump back into chapter one and we take a look at, um, say, starting in, in verse number 28, uh, Paul writes, uh, We proclaim him, Jesus, uh, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Remember, as we spoke about last week, that uh, the centrality of Christ um, in our lives is what this book is all about. And so understanding that uh, Jesus is the central core of everything that we believe and know. Verse 29, he continues on, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Now remember, he's in prison when he writes this, um, and he spoke about... Uh, just prior to this, he spoke about the um, making up uh, for the uh, afflictions uh, in Christ's body, talking about the struggling and how we struggle because Christ struggled. And so now we jump into chapter 2 when Paul writes and continues with this. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea and for all who I who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All right, let's take a minute and, and talk about those three verses because there's a lot of material there. Uh, first, he talks about how greatly I am struggling and um, obviously, uh, he is alluding to the fact that he's in prison, but more importantly than that, he's talking about the fact that that, um, that he prays for them and he's concerned for them, and he actually yearns to see them again so that he can instruct them further. Uh, but notice there's three folks here that he's talking to specifically. Firstly, he says, I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you. Now, the you in that verse is uh, the people that are in the church uh, at Colossae, or we could say the Colossians. The second group, he says, is for those in Laodicea. And for those of you that are um, uh, study scripture, uh, you might recognize the Laodiceans as one of the seven churches mentioned in the book of the Revelation. 
Um, and they were neither uh, hot nor cold. They were lukewarm, and uh, God was going to spew them out of his mouth. And then he also says, for all I haven't met in person. Now, specifically here, he's speaking about people that are in um, that area um, that he hasn't met yet. But I think that we can plug all of ourselves into that category as well, because we didn't meet Paul in person either. So in writing this letter, the Colossians were hearing it. They were supposed to hand it to the Laodiceans who would hear it. Then there were other folks uh, in the area that Paul hadn't met yet that were supposed to read it as well. And so that could be us also. So continuing on, here's what Paul wants them to know. Uh, In verse number two, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And so here Paul is instructing us, uh, or, or the reason behind all of the things that he's about to dive in and begin to teach, which is centralized around that poem from last week, you remember, which talks about the centrality of Christ. And so Paul first, he says, I want your hearts to be encouraged Now, remember, this is um, right around the time when um, the persecution of Christians and the church at large uh, was really kicking into gear, Uh, and so there was some struggle there for them, and you could imagine that they perhaps even felt uh, a little uh, discouraged in the fact that, wow, you know, we've joined this Um, this group, and we put our trust in Christ, and it's been nothing but a struggle since then. So he says, I want to teach you these things, uh, number one, so that your heart can be encouraged. And you know, sometimes when I think about that, my heart being encouraged, that sometimes the the events that are around us, and we can all uh, look back on the previous year and how this year is going so far and think, wow, I just don't know if I could handle any more than what I'm dealing with now. But have courage because Christ has overcome all of those things. And Paul's going to go deeper into that. He says, I want your hearts to be encouraged. He said, secondly, I want your hearts to be joined together in love. Now, this is one of the benchmarks of Christianity. Um, I know that I get reminded of it all the time uh, via social media and uh, my friends and other coworkers and stuff, that Christians are known for their love, uh, and we should be known for our love. And so here he says, I want your hearts to be uh, brought together, joined together in love so that they're encouraged, but they're also together. Now, what does having your hearts together with others mean? Well, in the context of the church, it means uh, having that same focus from an internal point, uh, the heart, and having that same focus and moving in that same direction together. And what is our focus in the heart, uh, in the context of the church? It's Christ. And so he wants you to understand, be encouraged of heart and join those hearts together in love. And then he tells us why. He says, I want you to have those things so that uh, you may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Now, he's alluding to the problems. Remember, the problems that the Colossians had was there was... Uh, syncretism, uh, bringing in other uh, forms of religion or other gods and so forth into it, or adding those things into Christianity. Then there was legalism, 
um, and then there was kind of this humanistic philosophy uh, that was being brought in. <clears throat> and so when we're looking at this, he says, I want you to understand that in having your hearts encouraged, joined together in love, focused on Christ, you may have, in doing so, all of the riches of the complete understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Now, God's mystery is Christ. You remember, as we spoke about last week, that um, God worshipers were Jewish people that worshiped God, and there were God-fearers that were non-Jewish people that had joined the worship of the God of Israel, but ultimately, salvation was for the Jews. It's not until Christ comes where he says, uh, salvation is for the whole world. And of course, we can remember uh, probably the most famous verse in Scripture, which is, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so that's the whole world that God is after, and that's the great mystery. And so he says, I want you to have complete understanding uh, and have the knowledge of the God's mystery, which is Christ. Then verse number three, in him, Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, one of the terms that uh, I haven't really used concerning this teaching in Colossians, but I think that you'll remember and recognize, is a term called Gnosticism. Gnosticism is, uh, in a nutshell, this understanding that you can gain more spirituality or have a higher understanding of spirituality by um, having secret knowledge to be able to know more about God. And so <clears throat> what he's telling them here is that in Christ, all of this hidden or secret knowledge that these folks are talking about and trying to get you to understand, he said all of that is... Uh, all of that that knowledge, all of that wisdom, that's in Christ himself. There is no secret knowledge. The knowledge is Christ. And if we can understand that and we can focus our attention on him, making him the central part of our lives, uh, then we're going to be doing exactly what God wants us to do, which is focusing our attention on him. So now he's going to continue on with this chapter and indeed the rest of the book explaining to them exactly what all of that means. And so let's continue, um, and we'll just dive right on into the, to the rest of the chapter. Verse number four, Paul writes, I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So in these two verses, he alludes to the fact that um, there are people that are going to come, and they're going to have arguments, and those arguments are going to sound reasonable. They may even use um, terms that we would use in that exact same context. And so he says, I want you to be careful of that. I'm telling you that I don't want you uh, to be deceived by any of these arguments that sound reasonable. He said, because I'm not there physically, but I am with you in spirit, and he says, I am rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. And so the information that he's hearing about this church uh, at Colossae is that they are true Christians. In other words, their faith is in Christ. It's not in these other things. These other things are drawing their attention away from worshiping Christ as 
Christ would have us to do, or as Jesus would have us to do. He continues on in verse number six. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. All right, let's take a look at these couple of verses. Just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, number one, continue to live in him. This is one of the most important things and uh, uh, an image that Jesus uses uh, about himself when he says that if you abide in me and I in you, then you will have much fruit. And so we need to understand that we need to live in Christ. In other words, everything that we do, whether we eat or whether we drink, do all to the glory of God. So we make Christ the center point of what it is that we're doing. And so we need to continue to live in him. Notice he says being rooted, that means grounded, um, set in place, and built up where? In him. Again, Christ is the centrality of everything. And uh, established in the faith, the faith in Christ, just as you were taught, not what these new people are bringing in, not what these with these reasonable arguments and all of this other stuff, but the faith that you were taught, that salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ and in the completed work of Christ on the cross. Then he says, finally, that they should be overflowing with gratitude. And boy, you want to know, people say, you know, Christians should be known by their love, but we should really live a life of gratitude. And the reason for that is, is that no matter what we do, no matter how uh, good we are or how terrible we are or uh, any of those things, God is always there for us, ever ready to forgive us of our sins so that we can stay in relationship with him. And that should give us pause, number one, to not continue to commit sin. Obviously, Paul wrote to the Romans that we shouldn't continue in sin, that grace should abound. He said, God forbid that we do that. But we should really, in a, in a, in a whole thought process of gratitude, I used to say this, that, um, that that's what I call uh, Willy Wonka theology. In other words, there was a line in Willy Wonka where, uh, and the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where Willy uh, looks at Charlie and he says, well, you're just lucky to be here, aren't you? And sometimes I feel exactly that way because uh, God himself knows that I have no right uh, to be anywhere near um, him at all. And it is only by his good graces that we do. And so we should live a life of gratitude uh, because of our faith in Christ. Let's continue on. Verse number eight. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. Let me stop right at that verse because there's so much in there. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy. Uh, philosophy is one of those empty, vain things that we as humans do as we try to figure out uh, what all of it means. And so in our humanness, the only thing that we can do is come up with 
bigger, better humans. And if you think about the gods, and I throw the little Gs, and I throw that in air quotes, uh, you know, Zeus and Apollo and all of the Greek and Roman gods and so forth, it's really just a giant soap opera full of human tragedy uh, and comedy um, displaced onto these godlike figures. And that's what human philosophy does. Um, it elevates us to a position that we do not um, belong. Then he continues on, uh, empty deceit based on human tradition. And so you can think about uh, the human tradition being all of the things that we do that elevate ourselves to a position of godhood uh, in any kind of tradition or whatever that would be or thought process. And then finally, he says, based on the elements of the world, and this is probably going to step on some of your toes, but um, this is the idea of looking at the planetary or celestial bodies, um, which is mentioned in the poem uh, that Jesus is in charge of all of those things. Uh, but in this um, uh, syncretism that was being slid into the church at Colossae here, this idea of looking to the celestial bodies to understand and have some deeper meaning or understanding about how our lives are going to go. So the word that you would recognize for that in the modern world is horoscopes. Uh, looking into your astrology and numerology and all of those things to try to get some kind of deeper meaning for your personal life and understanding. He says, be careful that no one takes you captive in any of those things. And then he opposes them in this last sentence, rather than Christ. So if you're looking for deeper meaning and understanding in your life, you have to look no further than the person of Jesus Christ. And he will provide for you all of that deeper meaning and understanding. Look at verse 9. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. So if you want to know anything about God, what would God do in this situation? How would God handle this? How would um, God view this particular item? How would this... The question you should ask yourself is, how did Jesus handle those things? Because everything about God's nature, this is what this verse says, is dwells bodily in Christ. In other words, he is the physical manifestation of everything that God is. And then he goes on in verse 10, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. So I'm not going to get into politics here, but I need us to understand this one thing. I do not care who is in the White House, who is in the Supreme Court, who is in the Senate, or who is in the House of Representatives. They have no authority over me. The only person that has authority over me is Jesus, and he is the head over every ruler and authority, whether they know it and realize it or recognize it at all. And so we can throw our hands up and say, what's happening to our country, and woe is me, and all of this destruction, and all of the things that are happening. But what we need to do is rest in the fact that Jesus is the head over every ruler and authority, and then I can put fear away, and I can rest in him. Verse number 11, he says, you were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. Now he's addressing here the legalism that came from 
um, the Jewish people that were coming into their congregation um, that were trying to implement the Jewish law on them in order for them to be Christians. Verse number 12, when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all of our trespasses. Now, here's a really great thing for us to understand. Before we were, when we were uncircumcised in the flesh, in other words, we were not following the law, and um, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he forgave us all of our trespasses and made us alive in him. Now, that's super duper powerful for us to understand that, is that he did that for us before we did anything on our side to prove or to work towards the point where he would uh, do the saving for us. So he erases our sins and makes us alive, and then work begins to happen in our lives. It doesn't work the other way around. You would never, ever be able to make yourself good enough, smart enough, strong enough, clean enough to be able to be worthy of being saved. So he saves you while you're dead in your trespasses and sins, and then he forgives those things and he brings you to life. That's why Jesus used the term, you must be born again. Let's take a look now at verse number 14. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away and nailed it to the cross. This is one of the greatest truths that we can understand. So all of those sins and all of those uh, trespasses and all of that death and all of those things, uh, he takes that, erases our debt, uh, which, remember, the penalty for sin is death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He took all of that, and it said, and Paul says, he nailed it to the cross. What I love about that imagery is he nailed it to the cross. That means it's there. It's gone. It's back there. It doesn't have anything to do with us now. He continues on in verse number 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. And so this is uh, not talking about the earthly rulers. He's talking about the, the larger authorities and Lucifer and so forth. Jesus put them all to shame. Verse number 16. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink, or in the manner of a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Those, or these, are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. So he's warning them again about these folks that were going to come in and to cause them to add things into their understanding uh, about faith in Christ. And he's saying, don't let anybody judge you about regarding food or drink. In other words, whether you abstain or whether you um, partake. Don't let anybody judge you on those things. He says, don't let them judge you in the matter of a festival or a new moon, whether you keep those festivals or whether you uh, keep those things that happen around the new moon, or a Sabbath day even, which, remember, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Uh, and there's lots of groups that really focus their attention on the Sabbath day and making sure that we adhere to that. 
Uh, and for sure, it is healthy and good for you to take a day of rest, no doubt about it. But he said, don't let anybody judge you on those things because all of that, all of the law, all of that teaching, all of that understanding was a mere shadow of what was to come. He said, if you want to know what all of that means, it means this, Christ. So that means that everything that, that those folks were doing in the Old Testament was an image and a picture of what Christ was going to do for us, which was to make us clean and pure and to be able to stand in the presence of God. Only Christ could do that. The law couldn't do that because we couldn't adhere to the law. In the book of James, James writes and says um, that if you're guilty of one infraction of the law, you're guilty of the whole thing. And so we all know uh, that we are guilty in those ways. Verse number 18, let no one condemn you by delighting in aesthetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Now, here, this is interesting stuff, and it goes into the mysticism and the syncretism that's brought in. But notice what he says, don't, don't, let, don't let no one condemn you because they are delighting in ascetic practices. So what are ascetic practices? So you can think there of monasticism or um, living a life that is secluded and simple and anything that would, um, you know, uh, be maybe even self-denial or destructive in those things. So an ascetic practice is something that would be simple living for the purpose of making oneself holier uh, than everybody else. Now, that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong in and of itself as, of ascetic practices, but when they are brought to the level of faith in Christ or adding to Christ, then they're a problem. The second thing he says there, uh, worshiping of angels. Now, it's interesting, the term angels there. I think that there's some very specific points there that Paul's making about uh, worshiping of uh, supernatural beings that are sub um, subpar to God. In other words, the angels are the created beings um, that are outside of our physical realm, uh, that we shouldn't worship them. But I think also just in the, in the, in the common vernacular, the word that is translated as angel uh, could also be translated as messenger. And so we have to be careful that we don't put uh, our teachers, uh, spiritual leaders and so forth, those people that are proclaiming the message into a place where they are worshiped because we are not complete in other people. We are complete only in Christ. And so we have to be careful that we don't do those things. The last thing here is that claiming access to a visionary realm. It's that concept or understanding that if I live an ascetic life, uh, I worship these or, or put a lot of emphasis on uh, these uh, created beings, whether they be supernatural or whether they be humans, alive or dead, and then that claim, then I have access to this visionary realm, which allows me again to have this super secret knowledge that makes me more spiritual than the rest of you. And he said, don't let anybody talk to you or condemn you about those things. Just because they're doing those things doesn't mean that they have anything other than what we all have, which is salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. And so he continues on about those people. Such people, he says, are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. Because you see, they're looking at the philosophies and... Um, 
the other things, the, the empty uh, deceit based on human traditions and based on elements of the world. They're not focused on Christ. They're focused on all of these other things. And so he says they're just empty notions of an unspiritual mind. Uh, then he continues on. He, that person, doesn't hold on to the head. Remember who the head is? The head is Christ. He's head over all rulers and all authorities. And so he said they don't hang on to the head. And from the head, uh, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. Because our head is Christ, everything grows from that point forward because we are abiding, living in him. Now, verse number 20. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why then do you live as if you still belonged to the world? I think we could all say, ouch, to that one. If we died to Christ and to the elements of this world, why then are we still living as if we belong to it? Because what needs to be at the core and center of our being is Christ. And so all of these other things, we don't have to worry about those and we don't have to do those. And we don't have to continue to subjugate ourselves to those things. He says, why do you submit to regulations? These are the regulations. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All of these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom, by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. So he says, why do you submit to these regulations when you don't need to submit to those regulations? Because they're not going to make you holier. Listen, you are as holy as you're ever going to get because Jesus did the work and he imparted his righteousness onto you by his indwelling and his filling of you because you are in him and in him you are complete. We don't have to have all of these extra rules and regulations. Now listen, don't misinterpret what's being said here that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, and you're going to be fine because Hebrews tells us that whom God loveth, he chasteneth, which means that all of our sins that we commit now, although forgiven and nailed to that cross and not going to separate us from God, still have consequences. And those consequences come, can come back to get us. But here's the big point. We need to focus our attention, live our lives, not looking for something other than what we already have, which is the complete fullness of God himself, which is dwelt or which dwells bodily in Christ. If we realize and understand that Christ is enough, that he makes us complete, and we don't have to add anything to that, that makes our life easy, it makes our life simpler, and perhaps because of our humanity, that makes it more complicated because there aren't a bunch of rules and regulations that we have to follow. 
As a matter of fact, Jesus summed up all of the rules and regulations that we have to follow into two great commandments. He said this, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy might, and with all thy mind and soul. And he said the second commandment is like unto it, that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so a very simple way to put that is that we have to love God and love people. That is the conclusion of chapter number two. Uh, Next week, we will be in chapter number three. Uh, I appreciate you uh, coming and uh, listening uh, to this uh, podcast, and I hope that it was a blessing to you. Um, As always, please... Uh, Click, like, share, subscribe on whatever platform you listen. Um, And then if you know of somebody that would be blessed by the teaching that you heard today, uh, please share this link uh, with them through whatever social media platform you have that connection with. Uh, Or uh, even if you're going to go talk to them and and maybe listen to it with them, uh, that would be much appreciated. Uh, Let me pray for us as we uh, close here today. Father, Uh, We thank you that uh, there is not a giant laundry list of things that we have to do in order to uh, make ourselves right so that we can be in your presence. We are so thankful uh, that uh, you have done all the work for us, and we live in gratitude knowing uh, that it is because of what you have done uh, that your uh, completed work on the cross where you became sin for us and you died and you were buried and you were resurrected, overcoming death, hell, and the grave, uh, enabling us to have uh, life eternal uh, in living in communion with the Father. And we're so grateful and thankful for that. And we're so thankful that that's all that's necessary and that we are complete in you. Lord, we just pray that you would help us to uh, be satisfied in you And we say these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Thanks again for listening to the Clayhouse Gospel Hour. Uh, Go out and be a disciple and make disciples.